simple question to ask you, and hopefully you don't have to say it out loud, your response, but just think about it for a bit. And it's this, is, is do you enjoy when other people judge you? Like, do you enjoy, like maybe you're, you're walking in the mall and you're wearing socks and sandals and someone is staring at your feet going, why are they wearing socks and sandals? You know, and that kind of a judgment. Or maybe you're driving and, you know, you're singing top of the lungs, kind of just out loud, and the car next to you as you stop is just staring at you with one of those faces like, what are you doing? Or maybe it's something more serious. Maybe, you know, you just feel that people are judging you. Like some of us have that in us. We have this, this innate feeling that people are judging our behavior, even if they might not be, right? Maybe it's because of past experiences, traumas, different things like that, where we feel like other people are criticizing us without words, even without knowing us. Do you enjoy that sort of feeling? Now, what about judging other people? Do you enjoy that? Most of us will say no, of course, to both of those things, but truthfully, we probably do a little more judging other people, even inadvertently. We maybe are thinking about that person wearing socks and sandals or singing at the top of their lungs in the car. And we kind of have that, like, what are they doing kind of a thing. Maybe we wouldn't say we enjoy it, but sometimes it just seems to happen, right? So we sometimes just judge people. We just do it. We don't really want to, but we do it. Now, a third question. Why do we have, or why does anybody have, authority or maybe responsibility to judge anyone else? Like, what gives us, not necessarily the right, but the authority to say, I know better than somebody else? Chances are, if you are thinking about being judged, you would say, well, nobody has the right to say that about me. Whereas if you are judging someone else, you might be like, well, actually, I do. I do know better. And it's one of those things that we don't really like that sense, that feeling, that uh, expression of being judged, but we're a little more comfortable expressing it to others, even if it's inadvertent in some ways. Well, we're going to talk about judgment today. And we're going to talk about who really does have authority in judgment. And we're going to maybe get a little bit uncomfortable with this because it's not something that we always talk about or maybe even want to think about. But as we're in this series about what should we believe, uh, judgment plays a key role. And it's a key role that sometimes in church we want to avoid, but actually is central to the teaching of Scripture and historically to the teaching of the church. So we're going to explore that together. Before we do, let's take a moment to pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that we get to be your church, your people, who are united in Christ, even if we might not feel like it at times, or even be sure about what that actually means. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who is with us always, who is the guarantee that we are followers of you, and who is prompting and reminding and shaping us to be who we are meant to be in you. Jesus, we are grateful that as we get to explore this teaching long ago of the church, we also get to explore who we are as people today following you and trying to be faithful in it. And I pray that as we explore this teaching in Scripture and in the history of the church, this tradition, that uh, we have our hearts and our minds open to you, Holy Spirit, because it's only you that really directs us. 
And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been in this uh, What Should We Believe series, we've been looking at this Apostles' Creed. It's this early church statement that uh, happened uh, over time, but in the set, around the early 2nd century, late 1st century, uh, there was this old Roman road creed that was done, and this is based off of that. So this is like the early teachings of the church, what they say is foundational to be Christian, to be followers of Jesus. These are the things you need to believe. And for a long piece of history, almost all of history of the church, they've held to it. Uh, But we've strayed away at different times. Those of us who are part of a Baptist tradition, like this church that we're part of, Bromley Road Baptist, we might have ignored some of these statements, not in a mean way, but maybe just not paid attention to them. Uh, And sometimes we miss out and lose the importance of what's being said. So the Apostles' Creed, it starts like this. It says, I believe... In God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then it jumps into statements about Jesus. It says, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. And today we're going to focus on this section. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. He's ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, from that seat, he will judge the living and the dead. Judgment is not, in general, something that we're very comfortable talking about. We feel that if we're talking about judgment, we might be judgmental. We might feel like we are going to uh, push people away if we talk about God's judgment or what that means. But the creed has a clear teaching that's completely based on Scripture. So it's not so much what the early church taught, but what the Bible actually speaks of. Judgment is a very significant and real part of the story of following Jesus. And again, it's not something we're necessarily comfortable with because we don't want to push people away, but it's a very real and important part of following Jesus. This passage, this section of the Apostles' Creed speaks specifically about Jesus' second coming. So those of us who are from church backgrounds, maybe we're more familiar with this. Jesus came once, so that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So the incarnation, God in the flesh, it's what we talk about in that first section of Jesus in the creed, that he was born the Holy Spirit. But he's coming again. And when he comes again, there's a different purpose. When he came the first time, is for our salvation for us to be connected to God in a way we couldn't be connected with God without sacrifice, and he was that sacrifice. It was for our forgiveness. When he comes again, he's not coming for salvation. He's coming for judgment. And that's what Scripture teaches. And that's, for some of us, uncomfortable. Because what we want to talk about is how God loves you, which is true. God deeply loves you. He loves you so much that Jesus came in the first place. He loves you so much that, as the Apostle Paul says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. But he also loves you so much 
that he doesn't want you to stay the way you are, that he has something better for you. And so judgment plays a piece in that. The truth is, we will be, whether you say you follow Jesus or not, we will be judged by Jesus. For some of us, we think of God's judgment as kind of like that faceless idea of God. You know, God who is mean, who's up in the clouds. But Scripture actually says it's Jesus who does the judging. Jesus who we can know personally and knows us personally. Jesus who died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus who offers us forgiveness. It is Jesus who we know who judges. Jesus says it himself. In John chapter 5, he says this. So as, as he has just healed people on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are coming at him saying, you're, you're awful, you're evil because you're healing people on the Sabbath. Jesus gives him this answer. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. But the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgments to the son that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus' teaching in this passage is that he is the judge. There will come a time in history where we will be judged, and the judge is Jesus. Those of you who know Jesus, who've read the Gospels, who have had an experience of following Jesus, you know his character. You know he is loving. You know he is gracious. But he is also a judge. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. He says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. This is a passage some of us might be familiar with, and we often associate this with the idea of dying. When we are in the body, we are away from God. But I don't know, well, I would say I don't think that's Paul's point here. Yeah, we could probably draw that conclusion to some extent, but when Paul talks about flesh and body, he's usually talking about sinfulness about disconnection from God, a different way of being than what God intends for us. So he says, if you're at home in that, like you are comfortable, think about it. Think about when we talk about, like we go on vacation, it felt like home, you were so comfortable. If you're comfortable in that, you are away from God. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must also, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us 
For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul says, whether good or bad, Jesus is judging us, our actions, what we've done. Think about that. That's not probably what we want to be thinking about. That's probably the opposite of what some of us are here for. We would say that, you know, I'm following Jesus, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to experience God's love, God's forgiveness, which is all true and beautiful and good. But does our life reflect that goodness of God? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and from there, he will judge the living and the dead. This was the early teaching of the church because it's what's in Scripture. It'd be fun to ignore it, but it wouldn't be good to ignore it. If I was a person, and I think I'm a person, who is loving and I love you and I want the best for you, it might be that my inclination would be like, I'm going to ignore this section of the story of Jesus because I want you to know I love you. But how loving is it if that at some point in your history when you die and you are before that judgment seat, you go, no one ever told me? The answer is it's not very loving. It might not be what we're comfortable with, but it's not love. Love is the full picture of who God is and what he invites us to. When Jesus comes again, he will judge the living and the dead. The good news is we can be confident about what that judgment will be, about what Jesus will say to us in that judgment. Uh, Timothy Keller, who is a pastor in New York, an author, uh, some of you are familiar with him. I think he says it really well when he said it this way. I saw it in a reading I did. He says, The essence of sin is that we put ourselves in the place where only God belongs. That is, that we make the judgment that we will rule our own lives. But the essence of salvation is that he places himself where we belong. That is, he became our substitute in judgment. The one judged for our reckless disobedience earned for us this benefit. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus which is Romans 8, 1 to 4. We will be judged. There's no escaping it. You can't escape it. It's going to happen. But how you are judged can be determined. In Christ, there is no condemnation. When we follow Jesus as Lord, he takes that judgment for us. When we don't, we take it for ourselves. So how do you know? How do you know if God is going to say to you, hey, you're forgiven, you're good on that last judgment? How can you know that? I say you can be assured, you can be sure of it, and I know you can. And John writes this in 1 John He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. 
speaking of Jesus, he has given us of his spirit. And that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. You can be sure of what judgment's going to look like if you believe in Jesus. You can't believe in Jesus without God's prompting in your life. That's part of the story that's hard to understand sometimes. That the Holy Spirit is with you. And because the Holy Spirit is with you, and you can proclaim that you follow Jesus, you can rest assured that it's true. You don't have to be worrying. I know for some people, this is a real fear for them. They think, what if I haven't been good enough in my life? What if I haven't done enough in all that I'm supposed to be doing? What if I've ignored God in some way or walked away at some point and then I came back and maybe God's going to remember all those things? And the truth is, yes, God does remember. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ You are forgiven and free, as we sing in some of the songs we sing. That judgment isn't as harsh harsh as maybe it should be. So now that you know that, now that you should know that if the Spirit is with you, the judgment is going to be okay, how do you act, behave, live? John continues and says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence, again, confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. If you want confidence on that day of judgment, How have you lived in this world? Are you like Jesus? Does your life reflect it? John is making it clear, and in fact, all of Scripture makes it clear, if you're worried about what is to come, well, first you need to know that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So if you are following Jesus, you are forgiven and free. That last judgment is not as harsh as maybe it could have been. But your life should reflect it. Be like Jesus in this world. The Jesus who, yes, loves people, but also is a straight shooter when it comes to sin. He doesn't beat around the bush very much. The Jesus who is there for people, there for who are outcasts, and also is challenging those who are hypocrites. The Jesus who walks the way of love but a love that doesn't ignore wrong for the sake of being liked. That's the judge. That's who we're to be like. Does how you live resemble who you follow? Does your life look like Jesus? This is how we can be confident. When you have the Spirit, you know it to be true, that God is with you. And when you live like Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. Does your life resemble that? 
For your life to resemble that, it's not just always about what you do, it's also about what you don't do, and also about what you embrace. In 1 Peter, Peter writes this in chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They, being people in the world, are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Peter, the early follower of Jesus, who Jesus says, it's upon you, I'm going to build my church, however we interpret that the one who denied Jesus, and then as some of the legends go, as he would be preaching, people would be crowing like roosters to try and throw him off, who remained faithful to the point of execution. Peter writes to us, the church, by way of almost 2,000 years, and says, don't be like everybody else. If everybody else is saying it's fine, it doesn't necessarily mean it is fine. If we are to be like Jesus, remember that we will be judged for what we do and what we don't do. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in a similar way in 2 Timothy 4. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And you could read that and you go, oh, he's saying preaching, so it's just about Rob and maybe Alex and sometimes Andre and maybe a few other people. But that word preach is a word that means proclaim. It doesn't necessarily mean what I'm doing, though hopefully that is what I'm doing at the same time. It means speaking in such a way that you're sharing the goodness of God. You should be doing that. It's part of who we are. We speak in such a way that it reflects Jesus to the world around us. And that we should be prepared to do that whether someone's asking in season or out of season. We just have that in us. And we use it to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because we know, as the text goes on, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desire, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, and your hardship through the work of an evangelist just charge all the duties of your ministry. As he's writing to this particular person, we have inspiration and challenge for ourselves that we too will be judged. And there will be coming a time, and in fact, I think we're really in this time, where there's a lot of people saying what we want to hear, 
But we need to be discerning and not just embrace everything we hear. Because it's not all from God. We live in a world where there's so much information and messages being passed around like crazy that we can go, well, this is who God is like without ever looking in our Bible and going, well, what does actually the Bible say about who God, what God is like? That we will be amiss when it comes to judgment. Jesus will judge us. There's no way around it. The easy thing would be to try and ignore it now and just do whatever we want. But that's not going to be the easy thing in the end. We are meant to be like Jesus in this life so that we have the hope of the next. We can't escape that judgment, but we can be confident that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul has told us, as Jesus has lived out. You can be confident but your life should reflect it. Think about it. Does your life resemble that of Jesus? Or are you leading yourself to what you think is best all the time? Sometimes that might be aligned with Jesus. More often than not, it probably isn't. And who wins out when it comes to that decision? Let's pray. God, I thank you that uh, as we explore Scripture together, as we explore the teachings historically of the church, that we um, can be reminded and be confident that you are a God who is love, a God who is for us. That, Jesus, you came to this earth for the forgiveness of our sins, for the freeing of our souls. That through your death and resurrection, we can have hope and experience life in all of its fullness. But we don't always choose that, God. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can embrace a life that looks like yours, Jesus, and isn't guided just by our desires, our emotions, our wants, but we can remain faithful to your calling. And that in being faithful, we can be reminded and be confident that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus that you do offer us the forgiveness of sins, that you have forgiven us, that you love us as we are, but love us too much to leave us that way. And I pray that we can know that in the reality that we will be judged, all will be judged, that in our confidence we cannot use it as arrogance, but as hope and love to share with others that we can be ready in season and out to share that hope and to remind people that there is something good that God has for us, much better than what we think is good right now. I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.